0: Hello and welcome to a new season and another episode of Electrify This, a podcast focused on the movement to electrify everything as a key strategy to decarbonize and revitalize our economy. Each month, I connect with experts to explore the policy and market issues underpinning the shift to electrify transportation, buildings, and industry. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, Director of Electrification Policy with Energy Innovation. Today's episode, How to Electrify Your Life, Getting Started at Home, which is going to be part one of a two-part series. So last season, we covered a range of policy and regulatory topics with experts from around the world. It was a great first year of the pod, and I am very excited to kick off our second season. And I'd really hope to be able to make this first show of the new year all about the Build Back Better Act, which passed out of the house last year and includes a ton of landmark clean energy and electrification provisions, among other critical social programs. But Unfortunately, the bill got stalled in the Senate late last year, and although negotiations are purportedly still underway, uh, there's nothing to report at the moment. So I decided to take this opportunity to pivot from my typical focus on policy and regulatory topics and do a two-part how-to series. To help our listeners and subscribers get a better grasp on what it really takes to get started on electrifying their lives and reducing their carbon and pollution footprints at home. And we'll also learn about an exciting campaign that just launched in California aimed at helping people and contractors plug in to the electrification movement. Today, I'm joined by two electrification experts to help with this electrification how-to conversation. First, we have Joel Rosenberg, who is an educator and entrepreneur focused on helping solve the climate crisis and is an author of a new ebook just released called Electrify Everything in Your Home, which is a rewiring America publication. Joel's worked on science and engineering education at the Museum of Science Boston, the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology in Germany, Lawrence Hall of Science at UC Berkeley, Maker Media, and other lab. He's also a co-founder of 3D FabLite, which is an industrial laser cutter company. He has a mechanical engineering degree from MIT, a master's from Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism, and has worn many hats. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Next, we have Panama Bartholomew, who was actually on the show back in December of 2020 when we had just launched the podcast. Panama is the director of the Building Decarbonization Coalition, which is a multi-sector forum advocating for and creating solutions for our pollution-intensive building stock. Previously, Panama had served as a European director of the Investor Confidence Project and advisor on energy and natural resources to California Assembly Speaker John Perez the deputy director of the california energy commission's efficiency and renewables division and an advisor to chairwomen Douglas and Fanish style he's also a former board member on the us green building council and past president of the northern california chapter among many other roles panama welcome back to the show
1: great to be back sarah
0: well, I'm really excited for this conversation. You know, as I said in the intro, I was really looking forward to digging into the Build Back Better Act. That was sort of on my uh, radar for the first of the year, and unfortunately, we had to pivot. But that is all right. This is a almost, in some ways, a more important conversation to have right now, as folks are still kind of hunkering down in their homes. They're dealing with higher winter energy prices, and a lot more people in my circle, are thinking about and talking about how they can make their home uh, a a place where they're less concerned about their carbon footprint and uh, reaping energy savings and so on and so forth. So I feel like this is a timely conversation. So Joel, I want to start with you uh, and have you tell us a bit more about this book, Electrify Everything in Your Home, A Guide to Comfy, Healthy, Carbon-Free Living, Uh, and also let us know where people can find it.
2: Sure. So uh, people can find the guide. It's a free download from rewiringamerica.org. You can find it there on the homepage. And the way the book came about is last January, I talked to Saul Griffith, who is uh, one of Rewiring America's co-founders, while he was finishing up his book called Electrify, which I recommend. And uh, the main idea of Saul's book is that there's a solution to climate change in sight and that uh, basically greening the grid, making everything renewable – uh, making all of our vehicles electric and making our buildings electric can make a huge dent in our emissions. And um, while the first two, uh, the grid and vehicles, have gotten a lot of attention, the house hasn't gotten as much attention. And so he suggested I try and consolidate stuff down and write a how-to book for people who want to take action. So I spent a good chunk of last year researching what uh, other smart people had written and recorded about how to electrify your house. You know, Put it down into a 10-chapter book. And uh, we released it in December so that uh, people can try and put the puzzle together for themselves.
0: That is great and uh, you you included illustrations, so thank you for that. And uh, really, I found it to be uh, for someone who knows about this stuff but also isn't necessarily an HVAC contractor living and breathing this stuff day in day out. It was very uh, very digestible, very understandable for the layperson. so highly recommend folks uh, check it out. Um, and actually, Saul Griffith was on the show last uh, last month. He was our December uh, wrap-up, one of our wrap-up guests. So. Uh, so this is a great segue. So the book is really clear on what people need to do. You know, replace the machines that burn fossil fuels with efficient all-electric alternatives. But doing that can really feel pretty daunting for most people, especially when you start talking about the upfront costs of doing so, uh, as well as just the logistics of coordinating with contractors and so on and so forth. So... What are the first steps that people should take to begin going down this path? And any advice on how we can feel avoid feeling overwhelmed by the process?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's understandable. It can seem a little un- overwhelming, but it's important to remember you don't have to do everything at once. And the reality is that you're going to replace all of these appliances in your house in the next 10 to 20 years because that's about how long they last. So the big message of the book really is... What's your plan for making sure all of your replacements are electric? And so as I started researching this book, I came up with uh, two main ways to think about each item. First is, what's something you can do immediately for each appliance? So what's the first step you can do today? And the second is, if you do have to call a contractor, what background do you need to talk to them and to know what they're talking about? And what questions should you ask them? So to get started, I recommend... You know, reading each chapter, each one's only a few pages long, you know, two to 10 pages, I think, something like that, and uh, doing the recommended first step for each one. Um, and that should make it seem a lot less overwhelming. Basically, let's say you do one thing a week for 10 weeks. In like two months, you'll have a complete electrification plan, and then you have 20 years to get it done.
0: We never get 20 years to get things done. This is this sounds like a dream. <laughs>
2: Not everything is 20 years, but you sure, know. Sure, I mean.
0: sure. But but I appreciate that, that the, the longer life of these machines means that we have uh, the ability to plan for their replacement as opposed to waiting until they go out, which folks never want to have to uh, um, do a midnight phone call to a hot water contractor. Um, so I think the other question that comes to mind and that a lot of folks ask me about, friends and family, is... You know, if I do have limited resources, granted, love love the idea of making the plan, but 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 really, uh, it comes down to a lot of folks not knowing which technologies they should, especially the bigger ones, uh, that they should really prioritize. You know, is it solar? Is it the appliances? Is it your HVAC? Is it your car? Um, And you know, if there's if there's a kind of optimal sequence to some of these investments uh, in your research, what did you find?
2: Yeah, so there is no one-size-fits-all optimal sequence. And uh, again, people can just take care of each one as it as the thing fails. If you did want to prioritize the big purchases uh, in terms of emissions, the biggest thing you can do really is get an EV because for most people that's the huge uh, emitter. But it's sort of an easy thing to do, go buy a new car. The second best thing you can do is get a heat pump space uh, heating and cooling device to replace your furnace or whatever else burning fossil fuel heating device you have in your house. And uh, that's a harder one to do because you have to get a contractor to come and do some analysis on your house and design it for your particular house. Um, but uh, you can get started on that tomorrow by Uh, getting a home energy audit where someone would come and sort of test your house for leaks that you could fix right away and save some money immediately. And you could also call some contractors and get some quotes, uh, have them come out and do some analysis. You don't have to buy the heat pump, but if they come and give you some quotes, you'll have a much better sense of what you're dealing with. And you could do that at your leisure. So those are two big ones. Um, Another thing you can do, uh, and I talk about this in the book, it's it's a little wonkier, but like your house has sort of an electricity budget, what they call the electrical service. And so you can go and check out your electrical panel or your electric meter on the outside of your house and figure out how many amps you have. So it might be 100 amps or it might be 200 amps. And if you need, if you have less than 100 amps, you're probably going to want to upgrade, and that can take a couple months. So that's a good thing to start thinking about getting done as a uh, pre-planning um, as sort of a first thing to try and get done so that it enables other things to get done. It's in some ways the least sexy thing, but it's kind of the most important. And um, so you, could get, you, you can get, you a, can get your electrical service upgraded. And after that, when the electrician's out, you might also consider getting a couple of circuits installed for um, your potential electric stove or your potential electric hot water heater and Again, these are enabling things that you do ahead of time, but you don't have to get the actual replacement appliance until your current one fails.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. That electric ready concept is, uh, I think, a relatively novel one. Most people don't think about it, though. If you're buying a house, typically you're going to ask, you know, what's the, how old's the electrical? Uh, has it been upgraded? So, the nice thing about that piece, as I see it, is that um, it's a it's for sure a value add for your home if you're um, looking at kind of property values and resale values. Uh, But it also enables this electrification. Um, So you offer some suggestions in the book and some ideas on how to pay for these things. Cause I know for many people, um, you know, you're going to have to finance something. You're going to have to save for something. You're going to have to, uh, get creative. So, um, what are, what were some of the options and solutions available now for people to start looking at and exploring?
2: So there's a section in the book called how to pay for it. And, um, if you're buying a new house or you're refinancing your house, uh, there is a thing called a green mortgage where it's not a second mortgage. It's basically just money that gets rolled into your monthly mortgage payment. And you could go and get money to retrofit your entire house uh, to be fully electric. So that's one option. But if you're doing one thing at a time, uh, people buy cars and the, the dealer finances their car. And that's the same can be done for an electric vehicle. But, Uh, If you go and buy individual appliances, some contractors and manufacturers also will offer financing. So what they call buy-down loans, uh, that can spread the cost out over time. Um, Some utilities offer what they call on-bill financing, where you basically get the appliance sort of for free up front, and then you pay it back on your bill. And it can seem like the appliance itself is free if the savings from having a better appliance reduces your utility bill, and then you pay it back, um, and your bill sort of stays Steady.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, then there are other types of loans that you can get. Um, so there are some credit unions you could check around. There's also national credit unions where they have a clean energy focus and they can give you a very small loan for doing something like an energy assessment to a bigger loan for a whole heat pump system. Uh, there are PACE loans where you can get uh, or it's PACE financing, I should say, where they put a lien on your house and then you pay it back as part of your property taxes. Uh, Solar has kind of its own financing thing where the solar companies will finance it, but they also have things called uh, power purchase agreements, PPAs, where they'll put the solar panels on your house and then you sort of buy the electricity from them without paying for the solar panels. And so those are some of the ways that you can get these things financed. You get a second mortgage. But another thing to check out is that there are lots of rebates and tax breaks for buying some of these appliances. One place you can look for those is a website called Desire. It's a D-S-I-R-E-U-S-A dot org. And that has lists of uh, state incentives uh, by zip code and by state. And so you can kind of browse that and see what's available to make some of these things cheaper. And you should also ask your contractor if there are any rebates or anything available.
0: Great. That's a super helpful list. And it is important to note that, Depending on where you live, there are different options available, different incentive programs, different financing programs. So it's important to do your research. Make sure you understand what's available, where you live. Uh, For example, PACE financing was really popular several years ago. Uh, It it ran into some challenges. I'm not sure if that's still a viable option in a lot of places. But uh, for sure, make sure you understand the lay of the land with respect to the laws and regulations as well as the incentive programs. I'll throw out one more resource uh, called energysage.com. dot uh, and they they do solar stuff but they're also focusing now on energy upgrades and uh, you can enter your zip code and get uh, quotes from contractors but also they have a great uh, educational resource on their website so um, good good stuff out there to be found, and the internet is a wealth of information <laughs> and Panama i know you're you're uh, SHOP has been doing a ton in California to generate tons of resources for folks. I'm, we're going to pivot to that here in just a minute. Um, but my final question for you, Joel, uh, at least right now, and, and we'll have a more of a group dialogue at the end, but you you provide recommendations for renters in the book, which I love because uh, they're a huge segment of the population. Most of us have have rented at some point in our lives. And um, so we can relate to the struggle of not being in control of the decision-making or paying the bills in an inefficient home. What are some of the key steps that renters can take to begin to electrify their lives?
2: Yeah, so I myself am a renter, so I was sensitive to this when I was uh, doing the research. Um, so the first thing you can do is uh, switch your electricity bill to a renewable energy plan. Just check out, you know, check out your website of the, your utility and, and a lot of places have a solar or wind option. Um, a lot of people you've, you're probably familiar with an, a window air conditioner unit, and now there are heat pump versions that are coming on the market. Where instead of just cooling your room down, you can have a heat pump one that also will heat your room, and uh, that will let you turn your thermostat down on your uh, fossil fuel furnace. Um, for cooking, you can get a fifty-ish or hundred-dollar uh, portable. Electric induction stove that plugs into a regular outlet. I have one of those and it's just sitting on top of our gas burners uh, in the kitchen. Um, You can get an EV. So, uh, and I didn't realize this before, but most EVs, uh, sorry, all EVs come with a regular plug, uh, regular cable that plugs into a regular 110 volt wall outlet. And so you don't actually need an EV charger to charge your car. Uh, That'll give you like 40 miles overnight. But if you need more than 40 miles, Some states now require landlords to approve of faster chargers uh, at home. Um, If you're allowed to have a washing machine and dryer, you can get an integrated unit that also plugs into a regular wall outlet. But it's still better to hang your clothes up instead of using a dryer. Mm -hmm. And um, for the bigger things that you don't have control over, like a water heater or solar, you could do some research for your landlord and present it to them. And they might still say no, especially if they don't pay the operating costs. Um, But it's something you could talk to them about
0: yeah absolutely. start having those uh conversations now and educating them maybe maybe down the road it'll uh, pay off you know i was I was a landlord for years, and anytime our renters would come to us with requests or suggestions, uh you know I tried to listen with an open ear and um, not all landlords are like that, but <laughs> it's worth a shot. We can change the uh the dynamic over time. Um, well, awesome. Well, Jill, there's a wealth of information in the book and I uh, really encourage folks to check it out. As you mentioned, it is free and downloadable at rewiringamerica.org. Um, Panama, I want to switch to you because you've been leading some exciting initiatives in California over the last year since you were last on the show. And I'd love to, before we dive into the more recent campaign, uh, what were some of the highlights of the 2021 year for you?
1: Thank you, Sarah. Um, It was an amazing year. And what I'll say is that I've been in building energy efficiency for about 20 years and and green building and uh, land use practices for climate change. And I have just never seen a movement. Um, gained so much traction as building electrification has over the past three years. You know, really four years ago, nobody was talking about building electrification and now we're seeing some of the largest population centers in the world um, adopt mandates around it. So it's incredibly exciting last year and I'll just um, take up the whole rest of the podcast, just talking about last year's initiatives. Um, But (laughs) I'll go really quick. Um, You know, the, the leadership, around building electrification um, has really been from local governments um, to this point. And so um, we now have 55 cities in California that have adopted um, local building codes that either say no more new gas being built in my city or county, or putting heavier restrictions on it. And it spread beyond California. Last year, we saw Denver and Seattle adopt similar uh, bans on gas. And then at the very end of the year, New York City Um, adopted an all-out ban on gas and new construction uh, for 2024 for uh, low-rise buildings below seven stories and uh, high-rise buildings by 2027. And so local governments continued to really lead the way on building electrification last year. Um, But luckily, we're starting to see states step up. And last year, the California Energy Commission who puts out the energy code that regulates all new buildings being built in California, uh, updated its building code. And it was the most electrification friendly building code ever passed. It didn't require all out electrification, but it put heavy regulatory incentives for builders to be building all electric and made it harder and more expensive to be building with gas. Um, California also rolled out just about half a billion dollars um, of incentive programs Uh, for building electrification. And then we saw quite a bit of action in Colorado and Illinois with the passage of two great pieces of legislation um, that are going to bring about those states needing to develop long-range plans for uh, carbon-neutral buildings. And if I may just violate your question just briefly, Sarah, 2022 may be even a better year already here in the first month. Um, On January 5th, Governor Hochul in New York announced a comprehensive approach to building electrification calling for 2 million climate-friendly homes by 2030, the investment of over $25 billion into a green electrification fund and a laundry list of policy reforms. And just five days later, Governor Newsom announced a billion dollars going immediately into uh, building electrification programs as well. So we're off to a great start. And just last night, the California Air Resources Board Um, announced that it's going to be recommending to the federal government uh, zero emission appliance standards for water heating and space heating appliances sold in California after 2030, meaning any water heating or space heating piece of equipment sold in California would have to emit zero carbon after 2030. So we're already having 2022 below the doors off of an amazing 2021
0: Wow, that is uh, really inspiring. Both the huge successes in 2021, but also knowing that within a within a month, uh, so much is already moving in two of the biggest gas-consuming states in the country, um, New York and California, in, in terms of their building sector, especially. So that's uh, that will have a huge impact not only on climate but also air pollution and uh, equity, et cetera. Um, I'm curious, if I may. Uh, I'll, Can you elaborate a little bit on the California billion dollar uh, stimulus for building electrification? Does that include uh, carve outs and or allocations specifically for underserved communities, frontline communities, equity uh, and environmental justice initiatives?
1: It absolutely does. And I appreciate the question, Sarah, because. Ultimately, you know, we all have water heaters, and we all have uh, furnaces by law um, here in California. And as Joel said, they break and they need to be replaced. And there are people that uh, need help. Um, making those purchases just on the natural, um, even without uh, climate policies. And so we were very encouraged to see that out of the billion dollars that the governor proposed for building electrification, that just under $650 of that would be focused on electrifying low-income households through a direct install program, meaning that contractors are paid to go in and do comprehensive electrification retrofits in low-income homes. So we think that's the best approach. Um, for low-income housing, and we're encouraged that the governor is taking such a leadership role in this.
0: Well, that's awesome. And does that that money is a proposal. The legislature needs to go through a budget process. So still TBD. It's not f- finalized, but uh, looks like things are moving in a good direction.
1: We're going to get it up to $2 billion, Sarah. Don't worry.
0: I love it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you you just mentioned contractors, and I want to switch to that because uh, you just helped launch a new campaign in California called The Switches On, uh, which is a great name, by the way. Um, uh, and I'd love for you to tell us more about what it is, what you hope to accomplish with the initiative, and what's already underway.
1: Absolutely. So the Switches On campaign, and people can go and see the campaign at switcheson.org. Um, is a consumer education and assistance campaign. We're trying to make electrification easy for people by really giving them the main things they need to be able to make the switch off of natural gas to electricity. So we did a ton of consumer research um, over the past three years about what are the biggest hangups for people? What are the biggest barriers from homeowners or landlords to being able to make the switch? And what we found out was that Basically, they needed more information about what these technologies are and how to make the switch. They needed an easy way to access where to find incentives uh, to help them make the switch. And then they needed to find a way to find a contractor that was actually going to help them in this process and not talk them out of um, getting a heat pump or a heat pump water heater. And so we've set up the Switches On campaign to be really a broad media campaign to help people understand that electrification is better than natural gas. And then once we've hooked them with that, giving them the resources they need to make that switch. And so if you go to the SwitchesOn.org, you'll find all the information you would need to know about what these appliances are in very um, common language um, and some of the considerations you would need to look into when buying them. Uh, The website has all of the incentives available to you based on your zip code. So you put your zip code in and it'll have everything from state Government programs to utility programs to local government programs that are available to you. And then, critically, a pre screened list of contractors um, who we know are actually going to be helping you on the electrification journey um, rather than talking you out of it. Um, and in case you want additional help, we also have on there a one to one electrification advisor program so that you can talk to an electrification advisor about your house or your apartment and the situation you're in, and they can help walk you. You through what you should be doing, and then hook you up with bids from different contractors for your job. And so, we really help hope that the switches on campaign is going to be able to help people with what are the largest barriers to electrification.
0: That sounds so awesome and so timely too, um, because you're absolutely right. So many people are interested in this. The movement is growing, but the questions remain, and a lot of people get a little. Uh, flummoxed by the process. So you're sounds like you're streamlining it with this really comprehensive campaign, which is great. Uh, it's, it's recently launched, but I'm curious, what, what are some of the common questions you're seeing from people that are trying to electrify their homes and or from contractors that are trying to be a part of this movement?
1: Yeah, what we find is that people generally don't care a lot. About their furnace or their water <laughs> heater. Um, oh, I named
0: mine. What are you talking about? <laughs> I go visit it every day.
1: <laughs> Generally, people don't care a lot about their furnace and water heater. Uh, you know, electrification wonks uh, on the side. Um, and so they don't want to spend a lot of time and energy doing it. I think a lot of people want to do, quote unquote, the right thing. Um, And if we make it easier for them to do the better right thing and it works as good as the wrong thing, then I think they'll be more willing to do it. And so what we quite often find is that once you make the case that electrification is better for you from an air quality perspective, a climate perspective, and potentially from an economic perspective, um, that, that people are interested enough to go and explore what this looks like. And then they need a partner. And the most critical partner for electrification is the contractor. And so the question we get time and time again is, yeah, I want to do this. Where's the contractor? And that's why we made at the heart of the website for our campaign, SwitchesOn.org, a searchable database of contractors based on your zip code for folks that can help you down this journey. When you asked about contractors, Sarah, the number one thing that we hear from contractors is what's the value proposition? For us to do this, because the reality is the electrification movement isn't going to create new demand for water heating, water heaters or furnaces or electric stoves. Um, Really, what we're doing is we are working, as Joel said, on technologies that are going to break. And they're generally replaced when they break and not before. And so the demand is already built in based on the life cycle of these appliances. And what we're having to do in the electrification community is figure out a way to get contractors to change what they're currently installing. And so they're changing what may be the very basis of their company that they've started decades ago to something completely new. It's not like Star Trek technology, I mean, uh, a heat pump is basically an air conditioner that can run in reverse. A heat pump water heater looks like a tank of hot water with a a R2-D2 on top. I mean, this isn't crazy stuff, but it's different than what they currently do. And so anytime you're asking a business to do something different, they just need to see the value proposition in that. And so because we care about climate change and because we need to see a transition happen at a speed and a scale that is above and beyond what is the natural replacement rate uh, for these technologies, we need to be making public investments to make this just an unarguable value proposition for contractors to be able to make that switch. Once they make that switch, this is easy stuff to install. We have the contractors. We have the trained workforce. We just have to encourage them to make that switch.
0: Yes, absolutely. And a big part of that is also uh, getting good training programs and workforce uh, professional development components uh, embedded in, in a lot of this movement so that it's, there's a, an avenue for the contractors to pursue so they don't have to you know, figure it out by themselves. Um, are you seeing training programs and workforce development efforts emerging in California or elsewhere that are focused on this?
1: We are. We're seeing quite a bit of investment from government agencies and utilities um, in these training programs. And it's going to be up to all of us that work in this space to really create the demand um, for these technologies through both policy reforms and market reforms so that contractors feel obliged to go and get that training. And so I mentioned, you know, up front, we need to be investing to make sure the value proposition is there. But then the contractors need to see the cliff. You know, they need to hear clearly from governments about Here is the end of when we're going to allow gas appliances to be installed in our city, our county, our state, our country. And so one of the things we desperately need is policymakers to be standing up and providing clarity to the market so that we can be pushing contractors into these programs and start making different choices around the appliances they install.
0: Absolutely. And the appliances they have on their truck, so to speak, or in the warehouse. That's a big, big issue, especially right now with supply chains. Uh, being limited. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, I want to ask you both, uh, and I've alluded to it a bit, but what do you have to say to people who are still really skeptical about electrification? And let's start with the consumer side. Do you have words of wisdom or encouragement and or advice on where they can uh, better inform themselves on this? And Joel, I'll start with you.
2: Um- so to people who are skeptical, I think Panama's right. These are not new technologies. Uh, a heat pump is basically an air conditioner that can also heat. And, um, and so they're better. They're better than burning fuel, fossil fuel in your house. You see it with EVs, right? EVs are taking off because they're better cars. And it's taken a little while for people to test drive them and get comfortable with them. But once you do, uh, they're great. And you have to change your mindset from you know going to the gas station however many times a week you need to do to plug you get in like your phone but uh, but they're just better and you know I could, my personal story is that I had a flip phone for a long time after smartphones came out and I kept using it and refusing to get a smartphone but once I did I was like this is definitely better it's clear <laughs> and uh, to the electrification skeptics you're going to have a flip phone for 20 years
0: if you don't make the
2: switch the next time you have the chance
0: I like it Panama how about you
1: yeah, I, I I use the phone. I usually go back to the landline versus a smartphone, but I use a similar analogy a lot as what Joel just laid out. And I quite often point out that over the last 40 years, 60% of all American homes that have been built over those decades have been built all electric. Um, and so we have a vast experience um, with people living in all electric homes, and it They work fine and people don't know the difference. People get hot water and hot and cold space and they're able to cook their food. But the beauty is the technology we have nowadays is just absolutely incredible. It just blows the doors off of gas appliances. And that's particularly the case when you look at the kitchen. And you look at induction cooking um, just provides an amazing cooking experience, three times more powerful than your best-in-class gas stove, twice as good a control as your best-in-class gas stove, and none of the air quality problems of cooking with gas, um, none of the nitrogen oxides None of the carbon monoxide or formaldehyde that comes from cooking with gas. Instead, you have this beautiful, clean surface that um, emits no pollutants, is incredibly easy to wipe down and clean after you're done, and is incredibly uh, powerful cooking experience. So I usually go to the positive side um, of electrification technologies about why they should make that switch.
0: I like
2: it. If I could add about the, the induction stove, one is, again, you can buy one right now for 50 bucks to try out yourself, mm-hmm. but they use a lot less energy and they're not the electric stoves of your grandma's, you know, coil gets red hot. Uh, these are electromagnets that are uh, cooking food, transferring energy very efficiently. So it's getting out of the old mindset of like electric stoves are bad or uh, they're just better and you can try them and see for yourself.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna say the um, older electric te- technologies, whether you're talking about electric resistance heating or electric baseboards or the uh, coil electric stoves definitely have left a bit of a sour taste in people's mouths uh, for those who have experienced them and have either incurred much higher bills because they were so inefficient or uh, just didn't have a quality experience. So to your point, Panama, I think they're just really hammering on and reiterating the fact that we are in a new era of technology for all of these uh, relatively established electric uh, end uses so we aren't uh having to do leapfrog we're actually just like we're right out of the chute just in a better space uh for the new technologies that you can buy out there um and Joel to your point on the induction cooked up I have one and I love it and it's definitely uh sitting adjacent to my gas stove that I never use anymore um (laughs) and uh you know you do have to buy a you know a set of pots that uh is compliant with the magnetic setup, so just flagging that for folks. Um, but all in all, it is such a such a more pleasant cooking experience for me. I was always getting headaches when I was cooking. I was like, why do I just get like these pounding? Head-? And it's like, oh, I don't have a ventilation system in my home, and my gas stove is kind of um, slowly, you know, harming me. And and uh, so once I figured that out, that was a that was a game changer. Um, and for folks who have children, you absolutely should care about. The things that you're combusting in your home. Ideally, you don't combust things in your home. <laughs> Starting there, but <laughs> but absolutely trying to prioritize getting that uh, combustion out of your home is going to be important for your for your health and your children's health. Um.
1: I'm also, sorry, Sarah. No, I'm also ahead. you know I have a whole collection of. Uh, pictures of my two-year-old cooking with me on our induction stove. And um, you just would not do that. You would never have a two-year-old cooking on a gas stove. It's just not safe either from a burning potential from the grill or from just the catching fire potential from the flame. And um, these induction stovetops are just incredibly safe as well. And so if you have an older relative in the house that you don't want to trust around a gas stove or a young relative like our two-year-old, it's also just a much safer experience um, for cooking as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And you're raising the next generation of master chefs. So (laughs) we'll all benefit. Um, So... You know, I'm a policy wonk, as I think uh, both of you are as well. What issue impacting this electrification movement and decarbonization movement th- should the policy wonks continue to be really thinking about and prioritizing more, in a more proactive way? Uh, Particularly as it relates to the real-world experiences of people and contractors. I think you guys are really grounded in the work you're doing in making those connections. Um, But I'd love for you to share your thoughts for the policy wonks out there listening. Uh, What they should be thinking about or how they should be approaching this problem-solving. Joel, I'll start with you.
2: Uh, I think, you know... I'm, I'm less of a policy wonk. I'm more of a, uh, a communicator. Um, but that said, I think making it easy is key. Um, trying to learn from each other. So, like, Ithaca is working on full city electrification and um, figuring out the financing, figuring out the planning. Uh, if they can make it easy for individuals so that, like, you know, the guide that I wrote is basically obsolete because... They don't, you know, individuals don't have to make big decisions and do all the research themselves. That would be great. Um, Panama and I were talking a little bit. There are these retrofit ready um, heat heat pump water heaters that are coming onto the market. So Wonks could try and enable bulk purchasing ahead of time in order to do those kinds of easy rollouts to shift the market. Um, I think just making it easy and making it cheap for individuals who, as Panama said, don't really care about their furnace and don't really care about their heat pump water heater. um, That would be great. I mean, the the other ones like solar and uh, electric vehicles have sort of taken off because they're visible and they're a little bit sexier. Um, But the infrastructural things that people need to do, they don't want to deal with. And so the more wonks can make it a no
1: brainer, the faster this can go.
0: I like that. Panama?
1: Your yeah, three things immediately come to mind, Sarah. Um, number one, what you mentioned earlier about um, electrification readiness, um, and in particular, uh, electrical panels and the wiring in people's homes. Um, quite often, you need uh, 240 volt wiring for these appliances. Um, we don't have a whole bunch of that running around our houses, usually just for our dryers. Um, and our electrical panels may be undersized. And the reason this is a problem is because furnaces and water heaters um, are generally replaced. About 90% of them are replaced on failure. Um, And so that's an emergency. And you want that heat back and you want that hot water back as quickly as possible. Um, If you are then also suddenly making a decision to go electric and that is triggering the need to upgrade your electrical panel, um, that can take a lot of time. Um, In California and other states, it can take weeks to get your panel upgraded through working with your electrician, your utility and your local government, Um, and it can add anywhere from $2,500 to $4,500 onto the cost of the project, more more than the actual water heater um, sometimes. And so um, really what we need to be doing is we need to be thinking about uh, electrification readiness with homes and how do we get it before the emergency happens and how do we do panel upgrades and get the wiring ready to go. Um, In the new building code that California just adopted, I mentioned they're not requiring electrification, but they're requiring electrification readiness when you don't put in an electric appliance. Meaning that say a builder really wants to put in that gas water heater for whatever reason, the new, the new building code requires them to have it pre-wired. So when that gas water heater breaks, you're going to easily be able to put in a heat pump water heater with all the electricity to it. So number one, I think we need to figure out a strategy for pre-wiring and pre-upgrading panels. Number two, I don't think that we've come to grips with the speed and the scale of the transition that's necessary to meet um, our climate science And so we find ourselves, I think, trying to develop electrification programs based off of programs of the past and energy efficiency and solar energy and the lessons learned from that. And the reality is solar and energy efficiency have always been a choice. You know, we're choosing to use less energy. We're choosing to produce our own energy and if you're really committed to climate change, um, you believe that we don't have a choice but to fight climate change and we need to transition these appliances all over to electricity and we need to do it in a very short time. And so we need to be developing programs that are leading to early retirement of appliances. Still by choice, but programs that make that value proposition for contractors and customers so clear that people are choosing to take out, say, a water heater that is near the end of its useful life, um, not um, after it dies. And then lastly, I'll just point out one area that I think we're going to to spend a lot of time on over the next decade and a half, and that's tall buildings. Um, We have all the technology we need for electrifying uh, tall buildings, particularly on new construction. Um, We don't have a lot of experience in the United States about building um, all electric tall buildings. And so some of the design and construction community are going to have to go through those trainings we talked about earlier to become more familiar, particularly with central heat pump water heaters, but the retrofitting of tall buildings and developing the technologies and the techniques that are going to be necessary To be able to, say, fit in central heat pump water heating systems where we haven't preserved the space for those kind of systems in the past, I think that's going to be one we're going to have to spend a lot of time on over the next decade to figure out. So those would be three that I would offer, Sarah.
0: Really excellent points and great suggestions for areas of focus and and greater emphasis Uh, to elaborate a bit more on the point you made around our timeline and uh, our urgency surrounding climate uh, to get to get us on the path to a 1.5 to now, I think, close to 2 degree uh, scenario as we continue to surpass emissions goals. Um, according to our modeling, Energy Innovation has an energy policy simulator model that is really sophisticated and uh, looks at all the different policy levers to get us to that 1.5 degree scenario. And we found that combined with a, a really clean grid and clean electrification or clean transportation and Um, clean industry, we also need to have 100% all electric new buildings by 2030 and 100% of all buildings being all electric by the year 2050. And I would argue probably sooner than 2050 because we can't wait till that last two years to get it done. Um, So that's a lot. I mean, that's a huge, huge lift from an infrastructure standpoint. But at the same time, we're leveraging an existing grid to do that, and so that gives me a little comfort. It's not like we have to create a whole new system, a whole new pipeline system, or a whole new, you know, set of gases uh, to to run our buildings on. So there are some out there who are trying to 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 go that direction, but I see the most efficient, streamlined path is clearly the all-electric efficient option. So. Um, I love when there's a solution, you know, it's far, far better than scratching your head going, huh, how are we going to do that? <laughs> um, well, this has been a great conversation and, and I really appreciate all the work you guys are doing out there in the world. Um, it also gives me comfort knowing folks like you are, are out there doing the work you're doing. So, um, before we wrap up any final thoughts or words of wisdom to our most eager electrifiers out there, the people who are out front doing this or wanting to do it, um, and, just want to get that pat on the back and the the, the cheer from, from Panama and Joel. <laughs> Joel, what would you have to say?
2: Um, One thing, so Panama, the switch is on, is great. Uh, it's I think it's mostly California contractors who are on there right now. Is that right? So um, that's awesome. But for people who don't live in California, if you live in California, definitely go and check out those contractors on the list. If you don't live there, um, start making some calls to contractors and asking for heat pumps and uh, heat pump water heaters. uh, And the ones that say no, move on and find somebody who will say yes, because that will drive uh, demand for the contractor, right? The contractors who say no Mm -hmm. will say, gee, more people are calling me and asking for this and I should probably get on board. But uh, the last word, I guess I would say is, you know, read, read the guide. It's free. Check out the switches on.org. It's got great information. Um, Make a plan so that you don't end up with fossil fuel buyer's remorse uh, for your appliances because you replace them under duress in an emergency because you didn't make a plan.
0: Great advice. I love that. Panama, how about you?
1: Um, <clears throat> what I would say is that this is going to happen um, and there's going to be a different value proposition for an electrifier um, over the next decade and a half and there's never been a better value proposition and probably never will be than there is right now. Um, Governments are investing billions of dollars into really attractive incentives right now for it. And so you should be replacing your appliances um, and you should be telling all your neighbors um, how to to replace their appliances and get these programs. And the easiest way to get access to that is the switcheson.org website where you can find the perfect partners, the contractors, that already know about these programs and are going to be able to help you down the path. And if you're really fired up on electrification, you should become a Switches On ambassador. The Switches On program has an ambassador program that takes the most eager and talkative of the electrification community um, and gives you the resources um, and some of the talking points to be able to really point out to your neighbors and your community members um, that you've electrified your home and the benefits of it, and then how you can help them go down that path as well. So go to SwitchesOn.org to find those resources.
0: Awesome. Well, Panama, I hope you become a SwitchesOn ambassador for other states to get similar campaigns started. I don't know if that's on the horizon, but uh, the need is there for sure. Um, And I'll add to the mix uh, words of wisdom or or thoughts to to wrap us up here for the eager electrifiers out there. Uh, Continue to be an active citizen in our democracy and contact your elected representatives, be they local, state or federal, and let them know how important it is that we uh, generate workable climate solutions and create incentive programs and new opportunities for all people to convert to electric and uh, reduce their carbon footprint. That is Clearly, something we're still lacking uh, across the board. So, um, well, thank you so much for being with me here today, Joel in Panama, and thanks for all you're doing.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us, thank you, Sarah.
0: Electrify This is an Energy Innovation original podcast. Energy Innovation is a nonpartisan energy and climate policy think tank. We provide research and policy analysis to decision makers to support policy design that reduces emissions at speed and scale required for a safe climate future. You can find more information about Energy Innovation and the podcast at energyinnovation.org forward slash electrify this. Please continue to subscribe, follow, give us a five-star review if you like what you're hearing. It helps us expand our reach and impact. And, of course, tag us on social with hashtag electrify this. As always, a huge thanks to our sound engineer, Rowan Stigner, and the audio in in Salt Lake City, Utah. And thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Baldwin, and you're plugged in to electrify this.